To understand the language that is written within these building reports and pest report clauses, so you're not getting shafted when you go through that process. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Making It With Miles podcast. I'm Miles Clark, and we have another episode of The Shed, where we talk about practical advice and education, specifically with regards to building and construction, renovations, DIYs, um, real estate, and the things that sort of I'm associated with as a builder and a uh, building inspector. Okay, in this episode, we're going to be talking about something very, very, very critical that you need to know uh, if you're buying or even if you're selling your house, and that is the contract wording in your contract of sale when you've gone to sign the piece of paper and pay your deposit to buy that property, uh, specifically with the building and timber pest report clauses. Okay, so some things we want to know, some things we need to be aware of, and just tidy all that up. So let's get into it, more or less. Uh, we want to start with why this is so important. You're signing a contract, you're signing your life away, all those good things. You're putting up a deposit, which is probably uh, your annual income combined of like $150,000. So you want to make sure that you make yeah, the wording is correct, okay? Because um, you might get stuck in a contract uh, for a house that you, unfortunately, after you report, you really don't want, Okay. Now, I've come across this numerous times. Contracts are changing. Conveyances are getting on top of this much more. And the REIV, who are fantastic, um, which more or less is the Real Estate Institute of Victoria, and this goes for most, mostly around Australia, they're starting to implement more um, stringent clauses for this specific area with regards to the building and the timber pest um, because they're finding that they're getting... Uh, backyard cowboys charging a fortune out to inspect these properties. They're taking the piss on reports. They're just missing things. So there's not really much regulation in regards to that, but these contracts is something that is helping a lot, okay? Um, So what we're going to talk about first, uh, what we're going to go into now is what can go wrong, all right? So what can go wrong during these processes um, after you've signed the contract of sale is that you might get issued a report that you don't like and you want to exit the contract and not purchase that home, but contractually, you technically can't. So you get stuck in a bit of a loop or you might have to pay the deposit, bail on the house or just continue with the sale, buy the house or come up with other ways and uh, techniques to get out of purchasing that property because you're contractually you know, obligated to purchase it, okay? Now, What that looks like is um, there was a time, and you'll see a couple of contracts now still have it. Some won't have it. It won't be super specific, but it was to do with um, major structural defects. Now, in the wording of the contract, it would say, um, I'll give an example of an updated one now, but I'll go into sort of what you still may come across, is that you can't exit the Basically, you can't exit a contract if there's no major structural defects defects. Now, a major structural defect is obviously something to do with the structure of the home. That could be uh, the footings have moved significantly. There might be some structural timbers that have rotted and falling apart. There might be just some other structural elements that are damaged. Um, It doesn't include things like um, holes in the roof. doesn't include the bathroom could be completely destroyed and full of water damage. Technically, it doesn't meet a structural defect. It's a major defect, 
but it's not specifically major structural, okay? So this has happened a few times where I've gone in and we've come up with you know, numerous major defects, but none have been specifically structural. So therefore, contractually, they've uh, the other conveyances pushed back and said, no, nah, we, we, we don't agree, doesn't meet the clause, proceed with the sale, which is um, bullshit, to be honest. So well, I'm just going to read you an example now of what it looks like uh, a couple of special conditions now. We've got the building report and the pest report. So when you tick these off as a special condition, which in most contract of sales does occur, you, you know, usually subject to finance and a building report, um, these are some of the things that are required to exit the contract. Now, the purchaser may end this. I'm just going to read it word for word. The purchaser may end this contract within seven days from the day of sale if the purchaser meets the below. So the first thing we see here is that they've got seven-day period to get the building report done, all right? Now, that is completely found reasonable. You should be able to find someone in seven days. 14 days is ideal, um, just gives a lot of runway, but seven days is manageable. If you see three days, tell them to go shove it up their ass and push it to at least a seven, okay? Now, one, we've got obtains a written report from a registered building practitioner which discloses a current defect in a structure on the land and designates it as a major building defect. Now, a couple of things to pull apart there is the first one, registered building practitioner. That registered building practitioners are not the most common uh, of people out there. Now, a registered building practitioner could be someone like myself who is an unlimited registered builder or domestic builder here in, in Victoria. Um, there are other registrations. You can be a, like a limited builder, which would fall within that category. So they might be a registered, uh, they might be a, uh, like a domestic limited painter. Okay. And technically it would fall under here. Okay. In most situations, um, you want to get a background of these people. If they're an unlimited builder, well, that's the best you can get from a domestic point of view they're going to be your best bet, all right? You can go on the, in Victoria, you can go on the VBA and you can search building practitioners and you will get a, a just by name and it will pop up who, who it is, okay? So if they're registered or not. It is one question you have to ask when you're um, booking them in. Now, I did an episode, number, uh, episode two, which talks about building inspectors and talks about what their scope is. Have a look at that, um, listen to that one and you'll know the full crust of how to engage them, okay? And what they're all about. Now, the other part there, it talks about um, a current defect in a, in a structure on the land and designates it as a major building defect. Now, the good thing I like about this is it, it makes it a bit more broad in regards to um, uh, the defect itself to exit the contract, okay? So we've got a major building defect here. It's not a major structural defect, which is what was very common. Uh, it's a major building defect. So what's good about this is you could have a leaky bathroom, for example, um, and it would have to be very significant. In some situations, just having one cracked tile doesn't mean it's a major building defect. It could just be a maintenance item, okay? And yeah, there might be water getting behind it and there might be a little bit of water in the wall, but it's not something to say that the house is going to fall down and turn to shit. So you would want to be clear on how that is um, how that is read in the report and you want to speak to your inspector about that to make sure that, you know, is he full of shit? Is it, has he gone too far with it? Is it a minor item and he's gone too far to cover his ass? Or is it a major item and he's just sort of taken a step back and said, ah, oh, it's not so much of a big deal. It might cost you 2000 bucks to fix it. It's, it's a very gray area, but it's very critical you understand this, okay? 
The other component is um, uh, gives a vendor a copy of the report and written notice ending this contract and uh, it's not then in default. So therefore, pretty much that one line item there, major building defect, what you need to exit that contract of sale with regards to the building, building report. Um, the other one is the pest report. So the purchaser may end this contract within seven days from the day of sale. If the purchaser, again, seven-day period, if they say three, tell them you shove it, four, seven, 14, that's what you want. Um, obtains a written report from a pest controller, uh, pest control operator licensed under Victorian law, which discloses a current pest infestation on the land and designates it as a major infestation. Now, something very critical to understand there, couple of components. First off, obtains a written report from a pest controller operated licensed. So to clear that up, you would call them a licensed pest controller. So as a licensed pest controller, uh, we're registered with, uh, I think it's the Department of Health in Victoria, where we um, yeah, we are licensed as pest controllers, so therefore we are knowledgeable enough to know what timber pests are. I already had a pretty good knowledge of what they are just as a builder, but there are a few other things like to help identify them, all that sort of stuff, which is uh, interesting to learn about. So you need to make sure they're a licensed pest controller. If they're not, if they write a report and they're not, it's not going to, it's not going to fly, okay? Uh, it says here a current pest infestation, okay? So there has to be timber pests there, okay? There can be significant damage done by timber pests or some timber pests there. If there's no live active termites, well, technically there's no infestation, right? It's just past damage. Again, need to be very clear on that. But I think you'd be probably lucky enough any... I'm going to say 90% of timber pest damage is going to be a structural defect anyway, okay? They eat the structure. If one stud's eaten on a structural wall or the subfloor, it's going to be a structural defect. So most of the time, it would be pretty straightforward to get out of that. Um, you shouldn't have any issues with that whatsoever, all right? So again... The wording is very specific and you need to be very clear on what you're getting into, all right? So there's a couple of things that you can implement or better understand before you get into this um, process. And this is ideally done before you sign the contract of sale. Once you've signed the contract of sale, you can't be changing all these bits and pieces, ideally, okay? Now, you want to get the wording correct so it gives you a nice vague uh, and fair and reasonable clause to exit the contract. I like the idea of what they're sort of putting out now, which is a major building defect, okay? But that being said, you could still argue that it might not tick the boxes of um, of some defects that really do need some like some decent rectification. Say you have some very poor drainage issues um, where the soil around the house is sitting up above the weep holes. Now, what that can do is you can have soil soak full of water and the water can get in and start cause rising damping within the home, all right? This is a major defect, major building defect. There could be some arguments there, right? I would just like to see major defect, to be honest. Uh, if it said uh, discloses a current defect in a structure on the land and designates it as a major defect would be completely fair and reasonable to execute and it's very easy to distinguish between the two, okay? Major building defect, you can push it out a bit more. Major structural defect, again, it just is it. That's a small, small group of defects that we come up. We don't come up with many structure, major structural defects. Not very common. 
Um, so just make sure that wording is ideally it would be say designates it as a major defect and then leave it at that. Okay. Um, with regards to the timber pest, I think to be honest, where it says infestation on the land, ideally what you want there is you want the you want it written in a way where it's the infestation or any pest damage. Okay, any any pest damage to the structure. Now, there are a couple of situations where you would get uh, in your timber pest reports damage to like retaining walls and the fence and a tree nearby. We don't care about that shit. We care about the house that we're going to buy. Um, if there is some damage to the property, say, for example, there's a little bit of skirting that is damaged by um, termites, the issue you're going to have is technically you can't exit that contract based on that because it's just the skirting, all right? But the risk of termites being inside that wall is extremely high, okay? Unfortunately, as inspectors, we can't just go around, start cutting holes and walls and opening things up and seeing to the extent of the damage. So if that's the situation, if that's the case, you really want it to be, you really want to encompass the obviously infestation and there's the damage as well, okay? Because if a little bit of skirting is damaged, you most likely want to know what's inside that wall or you, you can you can exit the contract or you can have a conversation with the vendors and find a resolution to understand what the scope is to rectify that issue. If it's taken off the contract of sale, if it's rectified there on the spot, maybe there's no damage at all and it's just a piece of skirting, which is common too. That's not an issue at all. So some key points to take away from this is to make sure that before you're signing a contract of sale when you're buying a home is uh, to understand the language that is written within these building reports and pest report clauses so you're not getting shafted when you go through that process, okay? Um, again, uh, make sure you're engaging the correct type of individuals. Again, as I said, check out episode two, talks about building inspectors, what they do, and obviously why you need one. Um, they need to be registered building practitioners, licensed pest controllers, so they meet these clauses. We're going to waste your money on us blokes, uh, men and women that don't do this job, so just be very uh, cautious of that process. Um, as well as that, once all the wording is in place and you're comfortable with that, then you sign the contract of sale, engage who you're going to engage, get the process sorted. All right, so best of luck with that. Be very mindful of it. Be very vigilant of it. We see it very often and we hate that process uh, when people start getting shafted and have to pay deposits or go through other legal processes to get out of a contract because there's been a defect that doesn't come under the contract of sale clauses. All right. Uh, thanks for listening to the Making it Mild podcast. Up next, we will have an episode on pre-sale inspections. Okay, this is from the vendor's point of view. Doing, a, doing an inspection before you put it on the market, all right? The positives, the negatives, all those good things. Really appreciate your time. Hope you got some value out of this. If you did, please share around, uh, give us a follow, give us a like, all those good things. We just want to help educate the uh, majority of people that live in this uh, in this country who own a home, live in a home, live under a home, live under a bridge, looking to buy a house, looking to sell a house, looking to renovate a house, all those good things because these are the things that I speak to a lot of people about no one knows anything about it and they're buying houses left right and center uh like it's just nothing so please share please subscribe and um i hope we can uh provide more value as we get through it thanks for your time bye Let's go.